Coming up, I'm replaying our 2020 Halloween special for you. Halloween never dies. From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is our 61-day Hauntathon counting down to Halloween. It's the week of Halloween, which means we're dropping multiple episodes every day. Remember, the best way you can support us this Halloween season is by sharing our Hauntathon with someone you think will enjoy it. And to follow along, sign up for our weekly newsletter at hauntedattractionnetwork.com. And now, here's our 2020 Halloween special, Halloween Never Dies. It is definitely the best day of the year, and today is all about that sweet, sweet Halloween nostalgia. Today's Halloween special is presented in two acts. In Act 1, you'll hear Halloween stories from issue 28 of Seasonal Entertainment Source magazine. These stories were performed specifically for this Halloween special. In Act 2, we examine why haunters love Halloween with a collection of short stories from the people that you've been listening to on this show in the past month. From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is our 2020 Halloween special. Act 1, Seasonal Entertainment Source Magazine, Issue 28, October 2020. Halloween Special Edition. From the editor, A Season of Change, Halloween Never Dies. Our company was born in the haunted attraction space, and it remains close to our heart. Haunted attractions, indeed the entire entertainment space in which we live, is suffering amid this pandemic. And yet, we hope. I've watched attractions worldwide rally, pivot, and fight. There is hope because Halloween never dies. Fantasy, story, empathy, and connection, all the elements that make up great attractions, these elements endure. The Gantam family dedicates this issue to the spirit of Halloween. We collected stories, photos, and memories from all over the world to create this issue. Let it give you hope and inspire you to keep the Halloween spirit alive. Until next time, constant reader. Philip Hernandez, Editor-in-Chief of Seasonal Entertainment Source and CEO of Gantam Lighting. Halloween is dead, and I just might die with it. This was one of the many social media posts that came across my feeds when both Disney and Universal Studios announced they wouldn't be doing their Halloween events this year. Several other key players in the industry followed suit by reducing or canceling their haunted attractions for the season. Not everyone is quite so melodramatic, but you have to admit, if you enjoy attending something spooky in October, your choices are, at best, altered, and at worst, non-existent. We need to accept the fact that earlier this year, the world changed. What we thought we knew about safety and science has been redefined, reimagined, or simply rebuked. No matter what you choose to believe, you must accept the way we live now is different. The way we work is different. The way we celebrate is different. Everything we thought we knew about the theme park and entertainment industry has been flipped on its head. There are new regulations and recommendations that make scaring large groups of people more challenging. But is it really the death knell for Halloween? To answer this question, I decided to look back at Halloween's past. I admit, the main reason I chose to jump in the way back machine was to escape into happier times. But I also thought that by examining Halloween's gone by, perhaps I could discover a trend or a progression of personal haunted enjoyment that would provide new insight. Maybe I could capture some kind of Halloween magic and bring it into the present so I could reinvigorate the season. Hopefully, I could discover the cure for this ailing holiday. 
The details and specifics of these stories may be a bit off. I've celebrated more Halloweens than most of you, so some things may get a bit jumbled. But I promise, all the memories and emotions are very real. Halloween, circa 1968. It starts with a clown. My earliest Halloween memory is my first Halloween costume. It came in a cardboard box with a clear cellophane-covered opening. The molded plastic mask looked out from under the word Collegeville, and the painted jumpsuit lay folded beneath. I was four or five years old. I don't remember whether I chose the clown costume or it was suggested by my mother. I was fine with the choice, since I was afraid of nearly all things spooky back then. Looking back, I think this is when I learned the most about how to scare people, because I knew what it felt like to be scared. After watching Dad carve a jack-o'-lantern that afternoon, I tried on my costume in anticipation of nighttime trick-or-treating. I lived in a small town in Iowa, so we needed to figure out how to squeeze a sweater and a jacket under the costume onesie and still be able to tie it up in the back. After dinner was finished and the sun had gone down, it was time to release the clown. As I recall, we only visited seven or eight houses in the neighborhood, but my orange pumpkin candy bucket was filled to the black handle. This was back in the day when neighbors would prepare special treat bags for the kids they knew. Popcorn balls and candy apples were popular, and still safe. I know this sounds more like a Norman Rockwell painting than a real Halloween, but this was the way it happened, or at least the way I remember it. Halloween, circa 1971. Homemade costumes and favorite toys. By this time, we'd moved to a Chicago suburb, and I was in elementary school. I was no longer satisfied with boxed costumes. My focus had shifted to creating unique costume projects that had something extra. I recall one very impractical costume from this era. The Halloween Robot. My father and I cobbled together some large boxes to form a basic boxy body and an equally angular head. After spray-painting the entire monstrosity orange, we added a door in the front that I could open to receive candy. And there was an erector-set series of gears and wheels I could activate by hand from inside. This design would have been ingenious if I had four hands and only needed to wear this costume for about ten minutes total. On Halloween night, I barely made it to the end of my block before turning around and heading home to change into the always popular backup costume. A vintage witch's mask with a black cape. It was far less creative, but at least I could walk. Another early grade school creation was based on one of my favorite stuffed animals at the time. A small orange monkey named Ace. He was a skee-ball prize I had won in Atlantic City, so I wanted to include the initials A and C in his name. I have no idea where the E came from. Now, most normal children would have taken the stuffed monkey inspiration and come up with Tarzan or perhaps a zookeeper costume, but not this little weirdo. I wanted to be an organ grinder, so my mother made me a red vest with yellow rickrack trim. I wore it over my white puffy shirt, large enough to hide my jacket, and a culturally insensitive Italian mustache. I attached a square box to a broomstick and put an old jack-in-the-box inside so my hurdy-gurdy would play music. This box on a stick also gave me a place to keep candy throughout the night. I put a slouch cap on my head and my friend Ace on my shoulder, and I was ready to go. At school, none of the kids had any idea what I was, but the teachers thought it was adorable, and I came in second place in the costume contest. Standards were obviously much lower then. Halloween, circa 1975. Candy at all costs. 
My tween years were all about the candy. Yes, I was 12 and still trick-or-treating. The general rule was that you could go out and beg for candy on Halloween until you got into high school. After that, it just wasn't cool anymore. In my neighborhood, trick-or-treating couldn't start before 4 p.m., and there was a 9 o'clock curfew, so my friends and I saw this as a timed competition. Our strategy was to start in areas the furthest from home and work our way back. That way, if we lost track of time and were out after curfew, we didn't have far to run to stay out of trouble. Communication was also very important throughout the night. We'd check in with passing groups of friends to see which houses were giving out full-size candy bars and which were giving out nickels and pennies. Since time was of the essence, we could pass by some of the sweet tart houses and head straight for the Snickers and Reese's families. Halloween, circa 1982. Bag ladies and serial killers. My early college years were spent living in downtown Chicago, and my Halloween focus shifted once again. Now, it was all about the parties. It was in the early 80s, so some of you remember how wild the parties could be. And those of you who actually experienced these wild parties may not remember anything. One year, there were two epic costume parties I wanted to attend. They were both thrown by some of my fellow theater students, so everything from lighting to costuming to scenery was going to be on point. I had to come up with two completely different costumes so I could stand out at both events. The first costume was a bag lady, inspired by many of the local residents in the Lincoln Park area at the time. I wore an old leopard print coat, one of my grandmother's house dresses, a short silver wig, and a red knit cap. I didn't need makeup. Bag ladies didn't wear makeup. As we were walking the streets on the way to the party, I filled my purse with dried leaves. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with them, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. Upon arriving at the party, I walked around passing out the leaves to random party guests saying things like, I saw this and thought of you. Or, I'm so glad I didn't show up empty-handed. Enjoy this little gift. The weird little organ grinder had grown into a weird 20-something bag lady. The second party was farther away and required a trip on the subway. This meant I wanted my costume to be simpler and easier to change into and out of. I bought a clear plastic mask and wore a long black trench coat, black pants, and black gloves. I wasn't quite sure what this character was going to be until just before I left my apartment. I was thinking it needed something else. After some thought, I picked up a large kitchen knife and the character instantly became a serial killer. I spent the entire night silently lurking behind party guests with the shiny knife low but in plain view. No one knew who I was, and I liked it that way. My roommate even commented the next morning he was sad I missed the party. Looking back, I'm surprised I wasn't kicked out, beaten up, or arrested. Halloween, circa 1994, the other side of the door. By this time, I'd moved to Florida. It was the strangest fall season ever for me. No falling leaves, no chill in the air. October still had temperatures into the 90s. It just didn't feel like Halloween. I chose to stay home and see what it was like on the other side of the trick-or-treating door. I had so much fun seeing all the families come by who lived in the apartment complex. It reminded me of the times of the box costumes and the years of homemade weirdness. I still remember the kid who had stuffed four pairs of pantyhose to make his octopus costume. That's something I might have done. This era of Halloween was more mellow. I thought perhaps I was finally growing out of celebrating Halloween. Halloween, circa 2000. A new perspective. And then came... Hollow scream!
In 2000, I was working at Bush Gardens in Tampa, and I was selected to be part of a team assigned to brainstorm, research, and install a fall shoulder season event. The team came to be known as TRIBE, that's T-R-I-B-E, an acronym for our goal, to realize innovative bush experiences. After a ton of research, we presented the very first Hollow Scream event. Although I worked on many different projects for Bush Gardens over the next 15 years, I was always a driving creative force behind our continuing award-winning Halloween event. My relationship with Halloween was completely redefined. What used to be an autumnal celebration became a year-round project. A multi-departmental team met every week throughout the year to discuss Hollow Scream, as well as our other seasonal events. What was once only fun had become a significant part of my job. The best job in the world. Halloween, circa 2014. The bloom was off the rose. By 2014, Hollow Scream had been through many ups and downs, but it was still an integral part of the annual revenue for the park. That one event was often referred to as the 13th month. Its success had opened the door for another seasonal event like Christmas Town, Summer Nights, and the Bush Gardens Food and Wine Festival. After 15 years, my ongoing commitment to Hollow Scream had become exhausting. As much as I loved the event and the people connected to it, I was ready for something new. In fact, during the 2014 season, I told one of my co-workers I thought it would be my last season. I don't know if it was a premonition or a self-fulfilling prophecy, but 2014 was indeed my last year with Hollow Scream. In December of that year, SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment did a major restructuring, and my position, Director of Creative Services, was eliminated. I've always said, and always will say, I have no negative feelings toward the park or about my time working there. I was given the opportunity to learn and experience more things than I ever could have on my own. We parted ways on good terms and continue to have a positive relationship. Halloween, circa 2015. A whole new beginning. One week after leaving the park, I got a phone call from another former Bush Gardens team member asking if I had plans to do any freelance work now that I was no longer affiliated with the park. I said, sure. What do you have in mind? The Wilson Company in Tampa had been thinking about doing a very different kind of Halloween event and was waiting for the right time and team to come along. In October 2015, we opened the Vault of Souls, an evening of elegant fear. The event was completely different than anything I'd done before. It was part cocktail party, part immersive theater, and part music event. It was Halloween in a whole new way. For the next three years, I spent Halloween in a vintage tuxedo, sipping gin cocktails, and occasionally reading sinister poetry I had written specifically for the event. More importantly, the Vault of Souls was the first client for what is now Scott Swenson Creative Development, LLC. Halloween 2020 and beyond, a kaleidoscope of possibilities. Since forming my own consulting company, I've been able to help transform an outdoor history museum in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada into the incredible Halloween event, Dark. I've been part of the team that each year transforms a World War II cargo ship into the floating haunted attraction, Undead in the Water. I've consulted on family-friendly, spooky events for Zoo Tampa and the Florida Aquarium, not to mention numerous shows and events for theme parks, museums, and zoos that have nothing to do with Halloween. And 2021 looks even more promising. So, what does this mean? 
Why have I taken you down this winding path of Halloween's past? Well, my purpose is twofold. First, I want to spark some fond memories you might have from the many years of candy corn and latex masks in your past. I want you to think back to your first Halloween costume and relive opening or visiting your first haunted house. I want to remind you of the reasons Halloween is so important to us. We all need a happy moment right now. Secondly, and more importantly, I want to demonstrate that Halloween isn't dead. It's just different this year. Which, based on these stories, is the way it's always been. It's every phase of my life. My relationship with All Hallows' Eve has been radically diverse. From store-bought costumes to rampaging through my neighborhood in search of candy, from answering the doorbell and laughing with children, to sipping cocktails and reading ghost stories, Halloween has never been the same, and that's what makes it so special. The holiday itself is about exploring the unknown and experimenting with identity. It's about facing our fears and embracing them as entertainment. Halloween in 2020 doesn't need a cure because it's not sick. It's just ever-changing. Those who want to celebrate the season will find ways to do that, and the next chapter will be written. Don't panic. Just pivot. Scott Swenson, Remember When, A Personal Halloween History. Growing Up Weird by Lindsay Gwynn Robbins. Growing up, I was the weird kid. You know the one. How most of you probably were the weird kid, too. Always a little too loud, too strange, too much for the space I was in. Like a mongoose with a kazoo. Of course, I pretended to be normal. Like you do when you aren't. I tried hard, pulling on normal every morning. A too small wetsuit of social constraints that made my stomach ache and my chest hurt. Knowing I fooled exactly nobody. But for a few hours, on one glorious night every year, I was allowed to shuck normal and try on something else. A magical evening of possibility and transformation. I usually started thinking about my costume around Valentine's Day, doodling bats and pumpkins on the cut paper hearts, adding spider webs and broomstick witches to the shamrocks, ghosts instead of stars on my flag. Every other holiday was not Halloween yet. Most of my friends wanted the licensed, glamorously crinkly store-bought costumes or insisted they were too old to dress up and then panicked and pulled clothes out of the toy box 10 minutes before they left for trick-or-treating. I'd rush through the brightly colored packages at the store, flipping through rack after rack, only to be perpetually crushed when they didn't have whatever specific oddity I'd settled on. My mother resigned herself to at least a month of construction and refinement, helping me draw out my ideas, guiding me through frustration when something didn't look right and I couldn't tell her how. One year, after a week of attempts to decipher which specific L-shaped green squiggly thing I was talking about, snake? No. Green bean? No. I finally turned up on the porch reeking of broken tomato plants, a caterpillar carefully held between dirty fingers. Oh, she said, as I pointed out how it could stand up like a little round centaur, half caterpillar, half another caterpillar. I see. Go get your wagon. I think we can use that. And bring me my gardening hat, will you? Elated, I left her holding the bug as our neighbor strolled up the walk with a grin and a handful of smashed tomatoes. She did figure out how to sew that wagon to my backside, so I had a proper tail trailing behind me. 
Of course, it banged into the back of my legs on every step, and its wheels squeaked, making me the loudest caterpillar of all time. And no matter what hot mess I looked like on my most favorite of holidays, I was going out in it. For that one night, I didn't feel like I was wearing a costume. I felt like I could actually be me, even if that me was a fat green tomato hornworm at the moment. And nobody told me to stop, to hush, to sit still or be quiet. Even swaddled in a painted sleeping bag, stuffed with plastic shopping bags and old sweaters, sweating my ass off, I could finally breathe. I was the weird kid, but on Halloween, everybody's the weird kid. Halloween is Sacred by David D. Jones A solitary Jedi, clad in simple brown hooded robes, steps into cool Miss World Night, listening to the murmurs and hootings of nomadic untold horrors and heroines, broken with the pleading demands, trick or treat. I untangle the edges of my Jedi robes from a spiky pyrocantha hedge and grip my pillowcase and lightsaber with excited fingers. Two paths lay before me, two destinies, two unknown outcomes. Both paths are lined with LA's fall haze blooming smoggy St. Elmo's fire around streetlights as our Jedi hero breathes in. A deep breath, tinted with scents of burnt pumpkin flesh and wood smoke, indicates our hero, me, has decided which of the life-altering paths he will take. I will go to the bully's house on the right first, come back finishing with the Stevenses on the left who buy tons of candy and won't run out. So do all epic adventures begin on this one perfect night. In 70 Southern California, Halloween was a threshold event, just as it had been for thousands of years all over the world. It was still the thinning of the veil, and the familiar grown unreal as Halloween smacked into your body. It turned your breath visible as the days shortened and evenings cooled. The fall inversion layer combined with L.A.'s smog turned the rarely seen moon into a gigantic blood-red herald that you only get with the very best of apocalypses. It was loud and out of place, the whole world screaming into your senses that change was in process, things were different, and boundaries were in flux. And here, Halloween was the marker. It was the night between the seasons the night of walking between worlds, the night only strangers roamed, and you became something you had never been before. Monstrous or heroic, you donned your new skin, representing some part of you, newly emerged or quietly hidden. So as a kind and skilled Jedi, weightless pillowcase in hand, with the future of promise, of hopefully almost bursting with the sucrose weight by evening's end, I began my journey, facing the most difficult house first. Our next-door neighbors were bullies to the core, from the youngest child to the frequently drunk parents. When you heard the mother's scathing shouting outside, you ducked behind bushes or corners so that you wouldn't be the next target of her ire. 
but she could also rise to infrequent acts of generosity and kindness. It was worrisome to a child, never knowing which you were going to encounter. Both versions live behind that face, and the tension of guessing who would emerge somehow always made it worse. Their house was also the one on our street that really went all out for Hallows, emblazoned with one of those very rare black light bulbs, and the mother dressed as an evil witch, towering haughtily over a dry, ice-filled pasta pot, which played the role of ancient iron-encrusted bubbling cauldron of evil. Walking up to the front door, trick-or-treaters merging like lanes of traffic, she shrieked and cackled, saying we were the most wonderful children she had ever seen. Whatever inner demons they wrestled with had fallen away. The house that frequently was the source of rocks and pine cones thrown at us became double helpings of small candy bars and Tootsie Pops. Back among the maze of suburban streets, trick-or-treaters formed tribes and cabals that coalesced and dissolved among Brownian chaotic motion of children's fleeting demands and impulses. Groups of loud laughter and acquaintances broke up at street corners with new impulses or remembrance of promises to be home on time, only to collect stray individuals and become a new mass of stranger-slash-best friends, and then doing so again at the next block or cul-de-sac. I found myself walking with Quan, a local tough kid dressed as Luke Skywalker, to offset my elegant Obi-Wan Kenobi, as we slipped from house to house debating the strategic viability of going straight up and down the block versus the zigzag approach, we found safer conversations than we had at school. I heard that they were giving away full-size candy bars off Marguerite. You saw The Exorcist? How? What happened? Pete's dragon sucked. Close Encounters was cool. You think aliens look like that? We parted ways after we viciously fought side by side against taller, unknown Darth Vaders from a different neighborhood. Towards the end of the evening, for three precious blocks, I trick-or-treated with Denise, the older sister of a family who had recently moved up from Mexico. She was shy, went to a different school, but we ended up walking close together, grateful for the excuse of small talk that night afforded us. Up and down the cooling overcast streets, houses and landscape mutated and loomed darkly with altered perspective, becoming far more mysterious and shrouded than when I passed them twice daily for school. As I strayed farther and farther from familiar territory, memorizing street names as to not get lost, houses now grotesquely lit with dancing shadows from carved pumpkins, they offered promises of more candy and new sights. The warnings of stranger danger gleefully tossed aside as each new knocked door introduced me to people who lived near me during the day, but were merely passing staging and scenery. Now I got to peer into a hundred different windows and entryways, families and lives, 
attractive older girls home from college in cheerleader outfits saying how amazingly handsome I was lit thrills and tingling sparkles inside me. The numerous mothers who answered the door in full, tight, leopard outfits with smoke-filled parties going on behind them, which was explained by my brother years later that our neighborhood was way more into key parties and swinging than I was aware of. Oh, Mrs. Myers, I never knew. The rich, swirling, gold-blue-green 1970s wallpaper of the family that smoked dark cigarettes and handed out tiny hard candies with letters that looked like English spilled on a floor. The older couple who made us all stand inside their foyer and take a picture of us with a camera on a tripod, hoarding evidence of Halloween's past from fading memory. The young brothers peering from behind their mother whose opened pillowcases and strategic piles of candy on the entryway floor indicated that they had returned from an earlier trick-or-treat wave and were now deep in negotiations as serious as anything that happened at Camp David. I was caught in watching the social hierarchies of my little world collapsing as class, skin color, accent, religion, and all the meaningless ways we organize ourselves fell away. Wearing a costume signaled that you agreed to join in the play of this magnificent night, which offered limitless adventures, discoveries, rewards, danger, and excitement. How delicious was this night that equalized all, recasting the mundane as frightening with all of Halloween's specific rituals and affects. It dismissed, for one night only, the ironclad rules of Don't talk to strangers. Be home before dark. Never take candy from a stranger. Don't knock on a stranger's door. Beware of people dressed weirdly. No eating candy late at night. Don't play with your food. And especially, don't carve faces in food items using a sharp kitchen knife. On Halloween, you can't judge a book by its cover. This was the era of designer jeans and identity clothing. Polo, lacrosse, Vanderbilt, Jordache, members only, and oh, so many bell-bottomed pants, each declaring who you were and your place. On Halloween, that evaporated in the mist. You couldn't tell anything about your fellow celebrants by looking. Everyone was masked and indistinguishable, so you had to talk to them, and everyone was a possible friend. My memory of facts ends there. I do not remember going back to a familiar, yet less than magical house. Tired legs, sorting candy, nor climbing into bed, but those things most likely happened. What I retain is the feeling of the cool fog on my skin, which makes the Pacific Northwest always feel magical to me. 
running, with Jedi robes flapping to catch up with new friends, avowed enemies becoming temporary allies and playmates. What was probably my first attempt at courting a girl while walking with her late in the night, and peering into the houses' lives taught me how other families interact and other ways of living. Halloween created a perfect night that gave me glimpses of the future of who I was and wanted to be. It was evidence that the ritual of Halloween gave hope and unconscious belief that everyone could be kind, playful, beautiful, terrifying, and fascinating. People are worth the time invested in asking questions and finding honest, unabashed common ground and new ways to communicate and play. And given the right time and place, magic could sparkle in the air with the promise of startling delights, rewards and adventures, if you were brave enough to come play. Halloween is sacred. Halloween is life-changing. Halloween deserves to be protected. Halloween is the one night we feed the strangers who come to our door. Halloween is the one date every adult and child across continents agrees to play the largest friendly game ever. Halloween is the one night every child is safe. Halloween is the only date we called Hallowed Eve or Holy Night. Halloween is the one holiday we agree to be kind and forgive each other even pranks. Halloween is the one night we become the people we strive to be, kind, playful, and generous. Now, Halloween is coming, and the earth changes in response to its arrival. It is always a feeling that you hold deep down inside you. We acknowledge it with emerging sweaters, long pants, and orders of pumpkin spice everything but the magic that lies even deeper, because in our bones, we know change is coming, and with it, the promise of that one explosive mystic night. Halloween deserves to be celebrated, especially this year, when its other side is so desperately needed. Every culture has its own version of acknowledging that life ends, that the people surrounding you will not always be there. That the way to deal with these losses is with other people. That sometimes it is best to light a jack-o'-lantern to chase away the darkness. That occasionally taking a chance, walking in the darkness, leads to rewards, unexpected and life-giving changes. So please, especially this year, However you may do so, please celebrate Halloween. There is a new generation of children that may need it more than we did. Howling for Halloween by Ted Doherty As a young tyke, I was fascinated by monster movies and Halloween. I loved dressing up for trick-or-treating and dashing through the neighborhood as my favorite monster, a werewolf. Well, back then, the makeup wasn't the easiest to apply for a clumsy kid like myself, and the famous Don Post masks were a bit out of my budget. Be that as it may, I tried my best. 
Little did I know that I'd develop a lifelong relationship with both Halloween and my pal the werewolf. Fast forward to many years later, when I began working as a professional werewolf at Knott's Berry Farm in Buena Park, California, for their annual Halloween event, Knott's Scary Farm. I felt so lucky to dress up as my monster of choice, and instead of going from one house to the next demanding candy, I terrorized thousands of screaming guests each October. My inner werewolf was overjoyed as he was let loose to celebrate Halloween for an entire month, not just one night. And now, I consider myself blessed to work on Halloween all year long for seasonal events and attractions. I think my passion for werewolves and all things macabre stays well-balanced as I write and direct for this dark little corner of themed entertainment. While working on these various events, I constantly remind myself of that kid who had blotches of hair glued to his face, wearing oversized plastic glow-in-the-dark fangs, and excited beyond belief to go out into the night and get that candy. I also continually recall the shrieks and laughter from all the not-scary-farm guests I scared. It's my job now to create these types of positive memories for guests of Halloween attractions. There's a deep-rooted desire in some folks to have fun by partaking of the thrills that monsters in Halloween offer. Lord knows I'm certainly one of those people. Admittedly, and far more selfishly, I consistently reminisce about these memories because they help keep my monster spirit alive. Every October 31st, no matter where I'm at, I reflect on that exceptionally good friend of mine, the werewolf. He's been my companion throughout the years, and together, we celebrate Halloween and share that passion with as many guests as possible each and every October. Happy Halloween. Halloween is more than just a favorite holiday or season for us at Epic Entertainment Group. It's the season that so much of our energy and attention is focused on year-round. It's when we get to see all of our plans and visions come to life. And when we get to revel in that rush of adrenaline as we hear the screams of excitement from guests echoing throughout our attractions. But most importantly, it's the time when our haunt family is back together, working grueling hours, overcoming impossible obstacles, and pouring every ounce of energy into creating kick-ass immersive experiences for our guests. To say that it takes an army to pull off what we do would be an understatement. And we are incredibly fortunate to be able to work with an army of absolute rock stars across all departments and functions. They are the heart and soul of everything we do. While 2020 is surreal and difficult and heartbreaking in so many ways, for those of us who are not operating this year, it has also given us an opportunity to reflect and to appreciate even more those who lend their talents and passions in such impactful ways. We look forward to getting back to work and to reuniting with our beloved Haunt family for more epic adventures in 2021. Steve Sheldon and Charity Hill, Epic Entertainment Group. Surviving 2020 by Cody Bailey, Hush Haunted Attraction. 2020 has been tragic and devastating. Empty chairs swell dinner tables as families feel the loss of over 200,000 Americans. Over 100,000 small businesses have closed their doors for good, destroying the life's work of hardworking, middle-income Americans. This devastation echoes in the entertainment industry and haunted attractions as we face mandatory closures and capacity restrictions. But there is a way forward. It depends on your resiliency and ability to innovate. I felt lost and scared often. This year's challenges are enough to knock the drive out of any business owner. Yet... I remind myself that I've been down this road before, and I assure you, my fellow owners and operators, that you will survive this. 
In 2018, a fire incinerated my year-round FEC. Three years of work turned to ash. It was a total loss, but it forced me to pivot to what was the best path forward. We rebuilt the facility into the new home of Hush Haunted Attraction and saw tremendous increases in attendance. We continue to pivot by adding on a full bar and gastropub, axe-throwing venue, and themed special event space. Our ability to pivot and remain focused allowed us to rebuild a better, unique facility. Surviving 2020 will require the same resilience and innovation. As attraction operators, we already deal with extensive health and safety requirements, rowdy guests, actors, and changing cultural tastes. We have the expertise to outmaneuver this pandemic. We can survive this uncertainty by leading. Your ability to remain calm and decisive is what will drive your success. Home hunters are known for the resourcefulness and creativity. No matter what the obstacle, we'll find a way around it. We love turning nothing into something. Actually, that pile of junk in the corner is the next hot prop. <laughs> Even though I now operate a commercial hunt, a love of home haunting has never left me. We home haunters find ways to work within a small budget while creating a unique and impactful atmosphere with simple scares and a passionate team, even if only a team of one or two that just loves to see people jump. The one thing I miss about home haunting is watching the little trick-or-treaters experience a haunted house for the first time and their sense of victory in making it to the end. When many of those kids grew up, they became fans of our current attraction. If you love Halloween but have never set up a yard display or garage walkthrough, don't worry if it isn't great at first. Start with a few store-bought tombstones and skeletons, some cheap floodlights, and create a graveyard. Then add to your collection each year. Let your imagination carry you the rest of the way. Hope you have a happy Halloween. Brian Foreman, The Dead Factory Haunted House. Prankster to Plain Gangster. 1930s Halloween by Haley Gross September shopping heralds the beginning of our anticipation of Halloween. Aisles burst with orange and black, skeleton decorations dangle, and there are bags and bags of candy. Trigger-treating is an important part of the Halloween celebration, but its origins are historically mysterious. I love historical detective work, so I started to research academic articles on the topic of trick-or-treating. I found an article titled Gangsters, Pranksters, and the Invention of Trick-or-Treating, 1930-1960, by Samir Kawash, which was published in the American Journal of Play. In her article, Kawash studied newspaper reports of Halloween and trick-or-treating during the decades from 1930 to 1960. Starting in 1927, there were mentions of trick-or-treaters described in terms of gangsters. This shows a fascinating combination of children's play merging with the history of the time to make a unique form of holiday fun, which has continued to this day as children choose Halloween costumes that emulate their favorite cultural heroes. The pranks children would often play in those early days were annoying to homeowners, but not actually destructive to property. Examples of these pranks were soaping windows or screen doors and tying cans to car axles. On November 1, 1934, the Oregon Journal reported, quote, Other young goblins and ghosts employing modern shakedown methods successfully worked the trigger treat system 
in all parts of the city. In Nevada, the Reno Evening Gazette, reporting on November 1, 1938, described neighborhood children engaging in playful extortion. Quote, trick-or-treat was the slogan employed by Halloween pranksters who successfully extracted candy and fruit from Reno residents. In return, the youngsters offered protection against window soaping and other forms of annoyance. Gangsters and bootleggers were a massively popular topic of fiction during the 1930s and 40s. Children modeled the extortion of gangsters to play a game with the adults in their neighborhoods. They solicited for candy with the implied mischief of the pranks above if neighbors didn't hand over the goods. These accounts give us a fascinating window into these early days of trick-or-treating and how this playful celebration gave children a fun activity where they could take on the role of power and kiddingly make demands of adults, which the adults submitted to for one special night. The language used in the newspaper reports show that the adults of the time understood this new game and were amused, often playing along. Kawash's thesis is also supported by the earliest trick-or-treating activities on the west coast of the U.S., with mentions of such activity in the early 30s in Oregon and California, likely inspired by gangster lore made popular in Hollywood movies. I've observed that trick-or-treating is an American tradition. My mom is from the United Kingdom, and she said that when she was growing up in the 1970s, England didn't have trick-or-treating. Knowing of Kawash's connection of gangster pop culture to this Halloween tradition, I asked if gangsters were part of pop culture in the UK. She said they weren't, which further supports the American cultural invention of the celebration. We moved to America in 1992 when I was eight years old, and I had my first experience of trick-or-treating. Since then, I've taken my little brother and sister on many trick-or-treating rounds, and we loved it. From its early days in the 1930s, trick-or-treating has given children a fun diversion moving from pranking to playing with the flashy, dangerous, and powerful figure of the gangster. Even today, kids have the opportunity of trying on a role for the fun of it and being mischievous in a way that could be empowering. It's now close to 100 years ago that trick-or-treating developed, and I'd say it's here to stay. Although this year may bring new precautions, this is a tradition that's transformed over time, and it will adapt. In another 90 years or so, we'll have more trick-or-treat stories to tell and candies to trade. Making a Graveyard by Chris and Jeff Davis of the Davis Graveyard. How do we become so obsessed with Halloween that we dedicate months of time, hundreds of dollars, and the better part of our home to the transformation? It all started with our family and friends. We love Halloween. They love Halloween. We've always wanted to create an elaborate yard display, and so have they. And faster than you can say trick-or-treat, the plan is hatched. Next thing you know, they're spending every available minute at our home, transforming the garage, driveway, front yard, and house into your own vision of terror. From the moment we laid eyes on the house we live in today, we knew the destiny of the yard was to be the ultimate Halloween cemetery. It took several years to bring the dead and dying to life, but the dream has become a reality. For over 25 years, the Davis Graveyard has created a creepy-crawly yard haunt that attracts people of all ages. It's become a spectacle of specters we're all proud of. However, none of this would have happened had it not been for our good friends and family members who started us down this path and the inspiration we felt from fellow yard haunters throughout the country. From our family of freaks, friends, and the grateful undead to yours, happy haunting from the DG. 
Hey everyone, you're listening to Matt Shenandoah, the creative director of the Haunted Fort at Fort Abraham Lincoln State Park in Mandan, North Dakota. Haunted Fort in the Halloween season has been a huge part of my life. I started haunting in college and as a fall job, and life as a haunter continued from there. The 2020 haunt season is going to be bittersweet. For me, on one hand, I'll certainly miss the fact that we will not be hosting the largest haunted attraction in North Dakota. On the other hand, this will be the first haunt season that I've had off in 18 years. I'm in part excited to enjoy October in a different way, but also I'm going to miss the excitement that came with creating and directing the Haunted Fort. Autumn is that time of the year immersed with change, changing colors, temperatures, weather, clothing. We know change is good, But with any change, there's a sense of loss as we continually move forward. Amidst this greatest change that many of us have never experienced, I encourage everyone to take this small break in the norm and use it to grow. Use this break to create new opportunities and build yourself up rather than tear yourself down. I'm going to rethink our haunt, its purpose, its mission, and value to our community. But most importantly, I plan to create Halloween memories with my kiddos and family, just as I have done for years for the thousands of visitors to the haunted fort. Don't just lie there dead and defeated. Get up, become a zombie, and push on. I've been asked frequently since we announced our postponement back in August, what am I going to miss the most not hosting the haunted fort this year? As most haunters know, the haunt season is a stressful time of year. Like many others, my work is not filled with dressing up and scaring visitors night in and night out, as many of my friends and family might think. As directors in this industry, we know the haunt season is actually filled with numerous deadlines to meet, piles of paperwork, endless amounts of problem solving. That's even before we open. But in the middle of all of that business stress, there are those moments that truly make it all worthwhile. I will miss looking out on the crowd of smiling visitors each evening at the Haunted Fort, waiting to enter, anticipating the scares, excited to see what we have in store for them this year. I will miss the sound of laughing after a good scare as I listen from the staff corridors. I will miss the unmistakable smell that Haunted Fort has. I think every haunter knows the smell of their haunt. I will also miss the smiles and energy of our actors, volunteers, and staff that have worked tirelessly each evening to create the essence that makes Haunted Fort. For many of us, this will be a different type of Halloween season. But in the end, we need to remind ourselves that Halloween is not just a season. It's not just a day highlighted on the calendar. Halloween is a state of thinking. It's a celebration of all things scary that make us go jump, run, and scream in the night. Halloween is much more than just one season in 2020 when life got a bit crazy. Halloween is very much alive in the lifelong memories created at the various haunted houses, corn mazes, pumpkin patches, hay rides, and of course, the haunted fort. Happy haunting, everyone. I have been truly fortunate to work extensively in the haunted attraction Halloween industry for 30 plus years, designing, directing, supplying, or performing in shows around the world. The haunt that fueled my passion and love for horror entertainment was Terror on Church Street. In Orlando, this was the first large professional haunt that I was a part of. Head makeup, character designer, and performer lead. And it changed my life and career. Terror was an incredibly unique show, running every night year-round for eight years and it raised the bar of haunted attraction entertainment everywhere. 
The huge success of this show was due to an amazing director, David Clevenger, and an incredible cast and crew. It was one of the first attractions to approach haunting from a theatrical show perspective. None of us came from a haunt background, but we were a remarkably diverse group from all areas of theater entertainment. Terror was where I was able to hone my skills in makeup and special effects and attraction design and operation, and it spawned my own company, AEO Studios, which was originally formed to support the makeup and special effects side of the show. More than 20 years after Terror closed, many of us from the cast and crew still keep in touch. Some of these folks are among my best colleagues and friends. I'll be forever grateful to Terror on Church Street and the Eternal Dwellers Theater Company for helping me find my niche in this wonderful industry, which has allowed me to help create quality horror entertainment for audiences around the world. Alan Ostrander, Attraction Memories. A Haunt Tour Reminisce by Nick and Beverly Pappas. My 2017 haunt tour with my wife, Beverly, proved to be the most unique tour we've ever taken. It was a five-week tour covering 4,000 miles, commencing in Jacksonville, Florida, with our ultimate goal being Statesville Haunted Prison and Hell's Gate in the Chicago area. Our buddy, Tater Lind, had described to us on the 2016 Haunt Con pre-show tour bus a unique haunt located in Mount Carroll, Illinois, the Raven's Grin Inn, operated by Jim and Jessica Warfield. He described it as being so creepy that you'd be afraid you'd never get out. We had to go. So we left Chicago driving on two-lane roads past nothing but tall cornfields with no cell service and no gas stations for three hours. The creepiness factor was already ratcheting up. Jim was a gracious, albeit quirky, host. His haunt is a three-story late 1800s house with a dungeon, basement, carved out of the local bedrock. So four stories in all. The tour began with Jim telling us, while we were in his living room, in pitch dark for over 45 minutes, the haunted history of his house as well as of his small town, around 1,500 people. Then he led us into his creepy kitchen with a haunted microwave, as well as other custom creations that Jim had made over 30 years. We left the kitchen and toured the rest of the three stories of the main house, going through narrow, tilting hallways, with Jim running ahead to grab us through hidden holes he'd cut into the walls. At one point, we were offered to lie down on a sack. We did so, and Jim pulled a handle, and the hidden trap door below us dropped us down a metal chute two stories, where we ended up in the pitch-dark basement. We dutifully waited for him to come and save us. The tour had many themed rooms. They were all disturbingly odd, each in a different way. About halfway through the tour, it suddenly dawns on you that because your host keeps running ahead and leaving you to navigate by yourself for minutes at a time, he's totally in charge of you. You see no fire escapes, no windows, and no exterior doors, so you can't leave until he lets you. Near the end of the tour, we arrive back in the kitchen through a previously unnoticed secret door, and we exited the house through a giant skull's mouth. The tour lasted almost three hours, and then Jim talked with us in the parking lot for another two hours until it was past midnight. Then we had to drive the three hours back to Chicago in pitch black with no streetlights and deer running across the road in front of us because it was rutting season. It's experiences like this that make life that much more special. This was the most memorable haunt experience we've ever had. Jim Warfield isn't only a legend, he's a treasure.
Like so many of us in the attractions industry, Halloween is one of my favorite times of the year. My love for the season started at a young age when I would put my costume on over my ski jacket, Halloween in Canada, and run through the neighborhood looking to fill my pillowcase with treats. As I got older, the energy and excitement never subsided. Trick-or-treating was replaced with costume parties, makeup was elevated with prosthetics, and running door-to-door was replaced with decorating my home and handing out candy. Never did I imagine that someday I would be part of a team that creates large-scale haunted attractions for thousands of people. My career in the events industry brought me to Fort Edmonton Park and afforded me the great pleasure of becoming the creative director of DARK. From my very first haunt con in 2018, the support and collaboration I've encountered from colleagues and mentors in this industry has been unparalleled, which leads me to this Halloween memory. In late October 2018, For the first time, I made my way to SoCal to see what was happening in the big leagues. Three days, three attractions. Not Scary Farm, Halloween Horror Nights, and Dark Harbor. I was a kid again, with a grin permanently plastered on my face as I ripped through the sights, taking in as much as I could. Being immersed in those experiences reminded me of a time when imagination ruled my world and play was my career of choice. I was reminded of why the work that we do is important. We provide our guests with an escape and an opportunity to feel like a kid again. Continue innovating, inspiring, and cheering each other on. Halloween is not dead. Happy Halloween from Teresa Ryan, Creative Director of Dark. Transformation by Alyssa Sikora Kleckner, Scared of My Shadow, LLC. Halloween begins for me with seeing the first grocery store pumpkin. The crisp breezes, showering leaves, and the anticipation of carving make me giddy. The transformative nature of things, from clay to fabric or even, well, a squash, has always attracted me. As a designer and fabricator, my career is shifting actors into characters or shrouding people in mystery with my masks. I witness my work metamorphose the wearer. I thrive in the transformative essence of Halloween. I venture to guess that we thrive in this environment. Transformation. Transformation is power. It is primordial energy. This 2020 season vibrates in a way that at times is downright frightening and not in a good way. During this remember when moment, one that challenges our willingness to remodel our perspective, pause, and reflect on the reset. Nothing is over. It's just transformed. We are collectively tasked to revamp, reimagine, and transmogrify. Let's don a different kind of mask and then, if you haven't already, go to the pumpkin patch, find your orange muse, and transform that fruit into a beacon of the season. Halloween is, and will always be, what we make of it. A simple question, really. When attending a local historic park's Halloween event, we were offered a survey upon exiting. I can't remember if my wife and stepdaughter filled one out, but I was the one who answered yes to the question. Would you like to volunteer next year? (laughs) Wow, what a world that turned into. I'd always been into Halloween. I'm not sure whether I wore the plastic masks and costumes during the 70s, but I remember dressing up in elementary school right through to graduation and then later going to the bar or parties with friends. Often my costumes embraced a bit of humor, a bit of horror, but generally blood light 
was the name of the game. Volunteering at Fort Edmonton Park in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada the very next year, I ended up requesting and getting the role of an undertaker. There was a long jacket and a hat for me to wear. My own shirt and pants underneath could have some split blood, as long as it didn't stain their historic-style clothes, which would be used by actors during the summer months that the park was open. Using a chunk of rope tied to a noose, I'd measure guests' shoulders and height in order to fit them for a coffin, and then proceed to lead them into the back room where a bunch of toe-pincher coffins were lined up along the wall. One had the lid off, and I feigned concern that one of my bodies had escaped. Suddenly the lights went out, bat sounds and a breeze rushed by the guests, and a door opened at the end of the room for them to exit before they got bit by the vampire. (laughs) Uh, Even though I wasn't the one doing the scare myself, setting the kids and their parents up for the scare became a career. I spent 14 more years there, and the only last two involved any sort of financial reward. Whether I played the devil in a blacksmith shop, (laughs) a chef in the deadly deli, a saw-wielding madman who chopped the arm off his victim, (laughs) or the proprietor of an oddity shop that had a huge earwax museum, I fell in love with the reactions I received from my guests. And I continue to say yes when it means entertaining someone this way. Daryl Plunkey. It started with a yes. Wait, you can see me? By Tyler and Nora Prophet, owners of thescarefactor.com, a.k.a. Team Zombillies. It was October 2010. Tyler and Nora Prophet, dubbed Team Zombillies, ventured out on a spooky fall night for their first round of reviewing haunted attractions for The Scare Factor. Little did they know, this would be the first time in their lives that they faced a real ghost. The haunt hit list for the evening included Baxter Avenue Morgue in Louisville, Kentucky. For those who've never been, this haunt inhabits the building of a former morgue. Needless to say, it's creepy. As they wandered through the scenes, they found themselves in the presence of what appeared to be a ghost. She was moving, she was talking, she was floating, and she was transparent. Oh, but that's not all. After stopping and admiring this strange apparition, Tyler and Nora were slowly leaving the scene when this apparition spoke. Yes, she looked at them, beckoning, and said, Where are you going? At that moment, their jaws hit the floor, and they went right back to her scene and responded, You can see us? She giggled and replied, Why, yes, yes, I can see you. Holy crap, why was this ghost talking? Why was she able to see them? Team Zombillies drove home that night discussing the ghost. What kind of trickery could possibly create this sort of thing? They decided to Google it. What else were they to do? They were amazed by what they found. This ghostly apparition was known as a Pepper's ghost. Whoa. They wondered how they could have been visiting haunts as long as they had without seeing one before. The world will never know, but to this day, they look forward to encountering more iterations of this wizardry in their haunted adventures. And that's it for Act 1. But don't go anywhere, because we have an intermission show for you. First, we're going to play one of my favorite songs from composer Chris Thomas. And then, Whispers of a Witch is Back with their Halloween special. And you're hearing it here first. Oh, something strange awakes the dead in the cemetery. There's post-cremation anticipation stirring up in rest and peace. The ghouls and 
goblins wait for dark The demons hide from light At the end of day they'll come out to play Cause Halloween comes tonight A necromancer cast his spell To raise at dusk his thrall His witch's brew was made for you And you can't get away at all The vampires sleep the dawn away No werewolves are in sight but bat and beast this eve will feast Since Halloween comes tonight The sorcerer's prepared a hex Might be his most powerful yet And if you're cursed, don't be upset It's just Halloween coming tonight So carve your pumpkin out with care Put on your costume fast But as you do so, beware This day might be your last from beneath your bed has taken to the streets He's had enough of dirty socks And he's looking for some children to eat While you're bobbing for apples, they're bobbing for eyes Which will eat on a stick or caramelize The trick to the tricks, don't act so surprised Since Halloween comes tonight The wounds and spiders crawl inside From cracks within the floor there's maggots, rats, and alley cats Come scratch at your front door the Ghosts and zombies come alive Oh, what a frightful sight The unholy things that sunset brings When Halloween comes to Whispers of a Witch. The Vampire by Madison Julius Carwine. A lily in a twilight place, a moonflower in the lonely night, strange beauty of a woman's face of wild flower white. The rain that hangs a star's green ray slim on a leaf point's restlessness is not so glimmering green and gray as was her dress. I drew her dark hair from her eyes and in their deeps beheld a while such shadowy moonlight as the skies of hell may smile. She held her mouth up redly wan and burning cold. I bent and kissed such rosy snow as some wild dawn makes of a mist. God shall not take me from that hour, when round my neck her white arms clung, when neath my lips, like some fierce flower, her white throat swung. Her words she murmured while she leaned, which words she holds me softly by. The spell that binds me to a fiend until I die. Whispers of a Witch The Weird Sisters Speak William Shakespeare Round about the cauldron go in the poisoned entrails throw 
Toad that under cold stone days and nights has thirty-one sweltered venom sleeping gut, boil thou first in the charmed pot. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Fillet of a finny snake in the cauldron boil and bake. Eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blind worm sting, lizard's leg and owlet's wing for a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth boil and bubble. Double. Double toil and trouble, fire, bread, and cauldron bubble, scale of dragon, tooth of wolf, which is mummy, ma, and gulf, of the ravened salt sea shark, root of hemlock dipped in the dark, liver of blaspheming Jew, gall of goat, and slips of you, silvered in the moon's eclipse. Nose of Turk and Tartar's lips, finger of the strangled babe, ditch delivered by a dream, make the gruel thick and slab, add thereto a tiger chaudron for the ingredients of our cauldron. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire. Cool it with a baboon's blood, then the charm is firm and good. Whispers of a witch. Vampire by Conrad Aiken. She rose among us where we lay. She wept. We put our work away. She chilled our laughter, stilled our play, and spread a silence there. And darkness shot across the sky, and once and twice we heard her cry and saw her lift white hands on high and toss her troubled hair. What shape was this who came to us, with basilisk eyes so ominous, with mouth so sweet, so poisonous, and tortured hands so pale? We saw her wavering to and fro, through dark and wind, we saw her go, yet what her name was did not know, and felt our spirits fail. We tried to turn away, but still above we heard her sorrow thrill. And those that slept, they dreamed of ill and dreadful things, of skies grown red with rending flames and shuddering hills that cracked their frames, of twilight fowl with wings, 
and skeletons dancing to a tune, in cries of children stifled soon, and over all a blood-red moon, a dull and nightmare sighs. They woke and sought to go their ways, yet everywhere they met her gaze, her fixed and burning eyes. Who are you now? we cried to her. Spirit so strange, so sinister, we felt dread winds above us stir, and in the darkness heard a voice fall singing, glowing sweet, heavily dropping, though that heat heavy as honeyed pulses beat, slow word by anguished word. And through the night, strange music went with voice and cry, so darkly blent we could not fathom what they meant, save only that they seemed to thin the blood along our veins, foretelling vile, delirious pains and clouds divulging blood-red rains upon a hill undreamed. And this we heard. Who dies for me, he shall possess me secretly. My terrible beauty he shall see and slake my body's flame. But he who denies me cursed shall be and slain and buried loathsomely and slimed upon with shame. And darkness fell, and like a sea of stumbling deaths we followed. We who dared not stay behind, there all night long beneath a cloud we rose and fell, we struck and bowed, we were the plowmen and the plowed, our eyes were red and blind. And some, they said, had touched her side before she fled us there. And some had taken her to bride, and some lain down for her and died who had not touched her hair, ran to and fro and cursed and cried and sought her everywhere. Her eyes have feasted on the dead, and small and shapely is her head and dark and small, her mouth, they said, and beautiful to kiss. Her mouth is sinister and red as blood and moonlight is. Then poets forgot their jeweled words and cut the sky with glittering swords. And innocent souls turned carrion birds to perch upon the dead. Sweet daisy fields were drenched with death. The air became a charnel breath. Pale stones were splashed with red. Green leaves were dappled bright with blood and fruit trees murdered in the bud. And when at length the dawn came green as twilight from the east, and all that heaving horror ceased, silent was every bird and beast, and that dark voice was gone. No word was there, no song, no bell. No furious tongue that dreamed to tell. Only the dead who rose and fell above the wounded men. And whisperings and wails of pain blown slowly from the wounded grain. 
blown slowly from the smoking plane in silence fell again until at dusk from god knows where beneath dark birds that filled the air like one who did not hear or care under a blood-red cloud an aged plowman came alone and drove his share through flesh and bone and turned them under to mold and stone. All night long he plowed. Whispers of a Witch never fails to get me into the Halloween spirit. And now for Act 2. In Act 2, we brought you some haunters from all over discussing what their favorite Halloween memories were. Well, this is Brian Foreman from uh, Dead Factory and Haunt Topic Radio. And what I remember as a kid growing up, maybe this is what scarred me for life as a haunter, is we had, there was this one guy that always had this Dracula coffin in his garage. And I was always so scared to go up there. And one year, I finally built up enough nerve to go up there of course, he jumps out and happy Halloween, you know, all this crazy stuff. And, and of course, I didn't get the candy. I just freaking took off, just running down the street. But after that, I just continued to go back and really started, you know, realizing that, hey, this is really just a guy in a costume and a coffin. And, whoa, it's, you know, this is really cool. And how do I do this? And then I started looking at the props that he had. And so that point in my life could have been you know the day that i said man this is this halloween thing's pretty cool but that's a that's one of my earliest memories of halloween happy halloween from all of us at fear factory in salt lake city utah hi my name's ernie uh my haunt this year is the gray phantom which is located here in norwalk california halloween is the best time of the year it really is it brings everybody together i feel like more so than Christmas, which a lot of people are probably going to hate me for. But, you know, I said it, it's done. We, we have to go with that now. So uh, honestly, I've seen people from high school that I haven't seen in 10 years. I decided to come and check out the display last week. Like that's something that you can get, you know, just by telling them on a regular day basis, hey, you want to hang out? You know, they mm-hmm. came to see something that I made personally. Um, so it really is the best time of the year. And it really makes, like I mentioned, it really makes me come out of my shell and makes me feel like definitely you know there's something in the air my favorite halloween memory would be when i dressed up as godzilla when i was like uh seven years old (laughs) no one knows that but that's that's a funny story my mom made me the costume of godzilla and it had like the full head uh, made out of paper mache and it had like this full padded like green suit to it and it had a tail my mom used to tell me that uh that I used to wear it so much, even after Halloween, that uh, I wore out the tail and it ripped apart <laughs> from the back. But yeah, that's my that has to be my best moment, honestly. Like that's just because I love Godzilla, and you know it's one of my favorite um, movie monsters. So that just always brings a smile to my face whenever I think about it. Uh, my name is Bill Galvin. Uh, I do Whole House Haunt in Buena Park, California. Halloween is fun. Should be fun. Should always be fun. Fun first. Keep Halloween fun first. My favorite Halloween memory is um, seventh grade. I built a haunted house. I built uh, at the time like it was the coolest castle facade ever, and it was in the it was the early two thousands when 
you could buy like rolls of this castle looking stuff. I don't know if you remember seeing that. It was almost like corrugated, like cardboard type stuff. And I built this thing. And I just remember thinking it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah, that, that's probably one of my favorite memories. Right, so my name is John. I live in Austin, Texas. Halloween is? At, at this point, it's community. Like I used to never think of it that way, but it is definitely community at this point is the word I would associate with it. From people stopping by and um, just sitting out in the front yard and people driving by on their trucks and just like, man, the boogeyman, he's the one that scared me. And we start up this conversation or um, people coming by and taking pictures with their kids. And uh, even though we can't really interact due to, you know, distancing and stuff, we can still see each other on the yard and they're, um, you know, waving or I see the little kids enjoying it. And of course the dad's like, Hey, do you mind if I get a picture with it? And having the kids like take the pictures of the dads. It's, I never thought of Halloween being something like that, but for me, it's become this community, just sharing event, which is awesome. My favorite Halloween memory is... I wish I had one from when I was like a little kid, but my parents grew up exactly what you were just talking about. They were more conservative and religious, so um, we didn't really get to experience it like I did when I was an adult. Um, So probably the cheesy answer, seeing my kids into it for the first time, um, going door to door and just, I don't know, the happiness on their face whenever they got to go up to that neighbor's door and just seeing them being so happy, turning around with this big smile. Um, it's the cheesy answer, but it's the truth. That's, uh, just watching them about two years ago was when they could really both get into it. And, uh, just seeing that look on their face of look, look at what we're doing. Just, I don't know. It's better than Christmas almost. Cause it lasts longer. <laughs> Hi everyone, Maximus here with the Ohio Haunters Association. I was asked by Philip to make a video uh, kind of recapping my year or basically just getting to talk about whatever I want. And I wanted to talk about my year. It's been an odd one. Uh, after the last haunt season, I'd started getting involved in musicals and plays and uh, was doing that through the John Legend Theater here in Springfield, Ohio, and I was also getting involved with uh, another musical with the Clark State. And at the same time, I was still working with my team with the Ohio Haunters Association, Jason, Katie, Kelly, Ryan, Nikki, and Mike. We were all still working on the Ohio Halloween and Haunters Convention. We were so excited about coming back for our second year. The COVID-19 pandemic spreading into the 2020 year made a lot of those events get canceled. And not only those events, and other events that I really enjoy, like Midwest Haunters Convention and other um, off-season events that a lot of haunted houses would typically do. And I would say that the months of March through May were probably a very dark time for me. Now, um, in hindsight, it, you know, I was very lucky. I maintain employment. Um, you know, I have a great family behind me. A lot of people suffered way more than I did, but it was still a depressing time for me. And my friends took notice. Um, some of them threatening to visit me several hours away. <laughs> and so, but the point was that I'm an individual that likes to be useful. You know, I like planning things. I like doing things. I like, I just, you know, I like my time where I get to relax, but for the most part, I need a project to work on. And I remember the thing that got me out of that depression, uh, that rut I was in, was when finally the owner of the Dent Schoolhouse, Josh, said, hey, we're reopening back up our build crew. You know, we'd like uh, you to work. 
And so that was something I got to look forward to and going back and working on the sets and detailing things and, you know, building, uh, being a part of building new sets. Um, I'm very limited in my skills, but, you know, I tried to help where I could. And I remember just getting so excited about that. And that was the first part that brought me out of my rut. From there, through the Ohio Hunters Association, I had the idea of making some videos to talk about which haunted houses would be opening. And that was a long process of going through every haunted house I could find in Ohio, finding out if they were opening and recording the video and getting all the editing done uh, with a uh, video editor I know. And because of those videos, um, it caught the eye of Philip, and so he asked me to come on weekly to talk about the Ohio haunts. And it has been such a pleasure to be able to collect news through from different haunted houses in Ohio and be able to share it on the Haunted Attractions Network. While at the same time, I'm still acting at the Den School House as well. So it's just been such a great year, especially uh, I got to visit way more haunted houses than I normally ever get to. And it's amazing to be able to go to these places and meet the owners and see these wonderful pieces of art. I like to call haunted attractions art. I think that these are wonderful pieces of art that they work so hard to open. And I could see the happiness in their eyes because so many of them were scared of this year. So many of them didn't know if they wanted to invest the money in opening and then see either they get closed down or the big fear even was that no one would come out. But by the time I would see them, everybody was having record-breaking attendance. And seeing these haunted house owners, especially one out in Dayton who opened for the very first year, had people coming out and seeing their dreams get realized. I don't know, I don't think I played any major significant role for Ohio Haunts at all. I just made little videos to try to talk about them, but there's something special about seeing people get prepared for a season, putting on the show, having people come and enjoy the show, and being able to smile about it. And my goal is to promote the good news in Ohio about the haunted attractions. I'm very appreciative to Philip for this opportunity to be able to talk with you guys weekly uh, going into the off season who knows what uh, news will come up but this season has already been a major blessing and it is haunted houses that got me out of a I would say kind of a depression depressive rut I'm so thankful to Bud Josh and Chuck of the Dent Schoolhouse for this amazing attraction that they have built and put on and I get to act at. I'm so thankful for my best friends, Nick, Panny, uh, Paige, Zach, Alex, uh, Kaylee. Um, also my mentors, Margaret and Terry, who you know guide me at every opportunity that they can. I'm thankful to my family, my parents, who you know support me in my ridiculous haunt obsessions. Um, I'm so thankful to all the haunted house owners that allowed me to help spread their good news, who allowed me to visit their attractions, who allowed me to make videos for their attractions, you know, like Alan over at Backwoods Oddities, um, Emily over at Phobia Haunt Trail, and so many more. Uh, this season has truly been a blessing. Um, not really any scary stories for me to tell, except, you know, that I think that everybody was scared going into this year and it's been amazing to see how it turns out. So everyone out there, please be safe, wear your masks, 
and I look forward to whatever comes next in the haunt industry. Whether, you know, if we're able to build onto this momentum into next year, some attractions will come back that chose to close this year and they will come back bigger and better and new haunted attractions will make their way out. Whatever happens in Ohio, I hope I catch eye of it and I'm able to share the good news about it. So thank you all so much. Uh, check out the Ohio Haunters Association page on Facebook, join, and hear what people are talking about on there. Haunted Attractions Network, thank you so much. Hello, my name's Kaya Gondren from A Petrified Forest. Happy Halloween! Halloween is a thrilling in a word to me. My favorite Halloween memory has to be when I was a character. This was several years ago at the event I still work at, A Petrified Forest. I was a character in a set called The Seven Deadly Sins. I was a floater that year, so I was bouncing between different sets. And this particular evening, I was playing the role of Envy. I was with two other mannequins. We were all dressed in identical dresses. And we had a group of folks that decided that they were going to not be impressed. And the gentleman in the back was insistent that he wasn't scared of anything. So of course, that's exactly what I wanted to go for. I stood very still, like a mannequin myself, along with the other two in my set. He walked by me and said, see, that's not real. We're not worried about that. I snuck up right behind him and said, am I real now? And he turned and said, that was good. So it was pretty, pretty memorable scare in my opinion. Halloween is obviously a favorite holiday by many. And one of the reasons why I love it is because I'm a haunter. Um, I've done tons of different roles in the particular haunt that I work at. I was a guide for a certain grouping size in the haunt. I've been a character for several years. I've done backstage tours for several years. I love the variety and I, of course, love to scare people. But there's a particular feeling to Halloween that I think really kind of clenches it. When you're at a haunt, you have the joy as well as the fear. You have people that are nervous that get through and that's the pride of getting through the haunt. And, being so proud of themselves for managing to be scared, but only a little scared. Um, so I'd have to say the reason why I'm a haunter is because of the emotion behind it. You have obviously the fear, but there's fun behind the fear. And I think that's probably my favorite part. My name is Zach Glarus, owner of Sir Henry's Haunted Trail here in Plant City, Florida. Halloween is life. My favorite haunt memory uh, is from our first year when there was just five of us running our very first year at Sir Henry's uh, and the experience and memories we made that year and reflecting on that uh, consistently as to where we are today is just a uh, very humble, humble thing. And with a happy Halloween from Zach from Sir Henry's Haunted Trail. My name is Jordan Liggett. I'm the entertainment productions manager here at Zoo Tampa at Larry Park. I've been with the park for about six years. I've been working on events here for probably about three or four now. Halloween is, you know, really my favorite time of year, but also it should be really everybody's favorite time of year. Um, you get to dress up, you get to be something that you're not, you get to scare people, which is always fun. My favorite Halloween memory is probably the first time I got scared as a little kid, oddly enough. Uh, neighbor had a coffin set up outside of his front door and he laid down in it and every time kids would go get candy, he'd jump out of it. and. As terrifying as it was during that time, it's still my favorite part. All right, so I'm, my name is Michael Fernandez. Um, I started 1870 Haunt Manor about uh, two years ago. Halloween is spooky. My favorite Halloween memory is 
trick-or-treating, seeing all the people's decorations, seeing people in costume and just like super cozy, just kind of uh, walking down the street with your family, getting candy. That was super cool for me. Today's Halloween special was produced by me, Philip Hernandez. Post-production and mixing by David Swope. Act one was narrated by Jennifer Ann Scott, David Jones, D.W. McCann, Haley Marie McClure, Aaron Rivera, Alan McKinney, Jeff Davis, Matt Shannondor, Teresa Ryan. Contributors for Act One include Scott Swenson, Lindsey Gwynn Robbins, David Jones, Ted Doherty, Steve Sheldon, Charity Hill, Cody Bailey, Brian Foreman, Haley Gross, Chris and Jeff Davis, Matt Shannondor, Alan Ostrander, Nick and Beverly Pappas, Teresa Ryan, Elisa Sikora Kleckner, Daryl Plunkey, and Teresa and Nora Prophet. The intermission music was provided by Chris Thomas for Music for Haunts. The intermission performance was narrated by Jennifer Ann Scott. Find more information on her work at witchvoice.com and support her Patreon at patreon.com slash whispers, where she has a Patreon-only podcast. Contributors for Act 2 include Michael Fernandez, Spencer Terry, Ernie, John, Bill Gavin, Max Bryan, Kaya Gondron, Zach Glaros, and Jordan Liggett. You can grab a free subscription to Seasonal Entertainment Source magazine at seasonalentertainmentsource.com. However, we've already mailed out our Halloween 2020 special edition, so if you weren't on the list, sorry, but you missed it. This episode was a monumental effort, and thank you to everybody who contributed. And if you, the listener, liked this episode, the best thing you can do to support everyone here is to share it with a friend so that everyone's work and stories get out there. From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip. Happy Halloween. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.